Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre via the phone, and we are through one week of action at Flushing Meadows in New York. We've seen plenty of thrills as Bianca Andreescu is still competing in the draw. Denis Shapovalov lost a five-set heartbreaker to Gael Mofis, and the big upset, Stan Favrenka ousted the world number one, Novak Djokovic. We will preview everything that lies ahead, and we'll also chat with Australian tennis player and qualifier for this event, Priscilla Hun. Uh, but Mike, let's first begin on the women's side because uh, as as we speak right now, Bianca Andreescu is still one of the names competing in this draw, and to me, she's one of the threats to win this title. Yeah, it's it's funny to me how suddenly and at a grand slam, she's become a, a favorite, whereas every other tournament this year, she's been in that underdog role or, or the role of upsetting higher-ranked players, and now here she is, uh, you know, as the 15th seed, and beating players that now she's sort of expected to beat, even that matchup against Caroline Wozniacki, despite the fact Wozniacki was the 19th seed. I mean, it's just unreal to me to think that Bianca is the favorite against a former number one, a recent world number one, and Grand Slam champion. And it just speaks volumes to how far she's come um, this season and how she's continued right where she left off with that shoulder injury returning and winning the Rogers Cup. And now here she is at the U.S. Open at the time that we're recording, uh, you know, about to play her fourth round match later today against Taylor Townsend and a really great section of the draw. It's hard not to get excited about the possibilities here this week for her. Yeah, certainly a, a great possibility indeed. We, I think when the draw first come out, came out, we're uh, potentially previewing a uh, round of 16 between Bianca and perhaps Simona Halep, uh, one of her idols from Romania. And I I know she wanted to or wants to get the chance to play Simona at one point, but it was Taylor Townsend, the American qualifier who really broke open the draw and and that portion of the draw uh, using the old school serve and volley. She approached the net 105 times in her victory over Simona Halep and carried that over reaching the round of 16. So that is your Arthur Ashe Monday night session match. uh, Part of a pair of matches. Rafael Nadal will be up first, but uh, as we said, Bianca Andreescu uh, favored in this match as well in the round of 16. And uh, again, we're kind of looking at that draw and how things are breaking down. Elise Mertens or Christiane perhaps waiting in a quarterfinal. Uh, she, to me, looks like one of probably the three best players remaining in the draw. And I would probably say Bianca Osaka and maybe Serena Williams. Yeah, I mean, definitely we put Serena in there. And, and for me, aside from Bianca, um, I don't know, Svitolina's looking really good. She's beaten some fantastic players this week. Uh, Osaka, to me, uh, you know, it's not going to convince me until she gets a big win, which she hasn't had since the Australian Open. But I look at the draw, and, I mean, Taylor Townsend should be fun just because of her attacking style. It'll be a different type of player than Bianca's really faced in, in quite some time. Uh, but then, yeah, Christy Ahn or Elise Mertens, to me, those are both players that Bianca, given her form lately, should be able to get through. So it's it's very exciting to see at this point what could possibly happen for the 19-year-old. And um, my, my goodness, this is just a, an unbelievable tennis season uh, that uh, that we're seeing from from Bianca. It's it's been a real treat to watch this happen. Yeah, it's been pretty unprecedented and really unfortunate in a way that uh, she wasn't healthy for Wimbledon and had to pull out of the French Open. You can imagine what type of success uh, she could have had but uh, she's still just 19 years old and now healthy and that's the most important point and really anytime she's been on court this season I've said she has been winning uh, now up to I believe over 40 match wins uh, since the beginning of 2019 if you uh, consider all competition of course she did so well in Fed Cup uh, so that's just a 
phenomenal statistics. She has definitely been one of the best players uh, on the WTA. You mentioned Alita Svitolina. We know her quarterfinal. It is now set against Johanna Konta, who took out Karolina Pliskova in a tough three-set match. And uh, this was sort of the talking point I think we had for Svitolina over the past year of when is she going to make inroads at at Grand Slams? When are we going to see the results on the big stage? And she's starting to prove that this season. Yeah, that consistency is finally starting to happen. Quarterfinals at the Aussie Open, semifinals at Wimbledon, which was a huge confidence boost for her. And now here she is, uh, you know, aiming for uh, another semifinal to slam back-to-back. So I think that would kind of erase all of that chatter about when is she finally going to deliver and live up to her seeding, her ranking, and her potential. What a great tournament, you know, going all the way back to the second round where she beat Venus Williams. Third round, the all-Ukrainian matchup against the younger Yastremska, which actually uh, you know, demolished her fellow uh, Ukrainian, which I didn't expect that to happen because Yastremska's had a strong summer. And then again, Madison Keys, who uh, had, uh, I think, more recent success against Fidelina, and uh, Alina got through the 2017 finalists there as well. So she's playing some great ball. Uh, she's 4-0 head-to-head against Kanta, um, so in, in theory favored there as well. And um, again, this is a talented player that's won big time events in the past. And now we see the translation of that to the slam level, which is uh, was just really nice. Yeah, and uh, she's on the bottom half of this draw. And the winner of Svitolina Conta will get the winner of Serena Williams uh, versus Xiang Wang of China. And, and Serena has, I want to say, she certainly looked fantastic in her first round match. I mean, we were billing that, or or the media at least was trying to bill that as the exciting first round rivalry matchup. And of course, Serena Williams just completely blew Maria Sharapova off the court 6-1, 6-1, and now leads that head-to-head 20-2. So it's completely lopsided. She's never had really issues with Maria Sharapova for the entirety of her career other than a Wimbledon final about 15 years ago and now she's uh, getting set for the Chinese player in Xiang Wang and certainly Serena will be the favorite here I have to say I I think she looks in better form and and certainly healthier form than when we saw her at Rogers Cup and uh, if that back doesn't act up she certainly has a potential here to get that 24th grain slam but she also had an issue uh, with rolling her ankle in a victory over Petra Martic so I think health is the biggest question for Serena Williams as we enter the final week. If you compare how Serena looked on her first practice session at the Rogers Cup in Toronto compared to how she's playing now, what a huge increase in in her form, in her movement, in her precision. Um, She had a little bit of a a tricky one against uh, Katie McNally, of course, the younger American, which was a great match to watch. But otherwise, she's looked so solid. And, I mean, the destruction of Maria Sharapova, other than the first two games in that match, uh, you know, where we briefly maybe got our hopes up, absolutely dominated. She's going for her seventh title at the Open. You know, she's had great success at the Slam since she's come back from uh, giving birth and becoming a parent. Uh, in fact, those are her most successful events have been at the Slams, making three of six uh, Slam finals. I think she's ready to take that next step. To me, she is the overwhelming favorite. Maybe we'll end up getting that uh, matchup with Bianca, a full matchup that goes the distance, which would be really neat to see. And uh, for, for right now, as long as the ankle is, is okay, as you mentioned, health is really, I think, the only thing that can truly stand in, in Serena's way uh, unless she comes up against a player that's just playing lights out. But I'm expecting if she does get to the finals, I, I think the nerves are going to be out of the way and we're going to see her just let it rip. And, uh, and she's got a great opportunity against Wang, obviously. They've never played before, but at 27 years old, the, uh, the, the player from China, great story, great to make her first career quarterfinal 
I don't see her getting by Serena. No, that would uh, certainly be a monumental upset. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. You can find Mike McIntyre at McIntyre Tennis as we are recapping the first week of the U.S. Open and the second week that lies ahead uh, for our fourth and final Grand Slam of the tennis season we have a couple other matches and uh bear in mind a couple of these matches are happening as we record donna vekic facing julia gurgis that's round of 16 action and naomi osaka on court against belinda bencic and coming up this afternoon christy on surprise round of 16 player facing the 25th seed elise mertens uh we do have an interview as well with uh priscilla hun of australia who made the Main draw of the U.S. Open after three qualifying wins uh, for the first time. And, uh, Mike, I know you had an opportunity to speak with the young player from Australia and where she is making strides in in her game. And I know qualifying for this event was a big result for her. Yeah, it was kind of neat to have someone uh, on the show that uh, may be more of an unexpected kind of guest for us. And uh, I believe the first Australian player or guest that we've had on our podcast, too. Uh, but I thought it was neat to find someone who you know went through qualifying qualified for her first main draw at the U.S. Open. She's 21 years old, getting closer to cracking the top 100, and just talking about that experience, what it's like to go through qualifying, which is really like its own little mini tournament, the pressure, the stresses. And uh, so, yeah, here we go. Without any further ado, uh, our interview with Priscilla. So, Priscilla, you recently got back to Australia after making your first ever main draw at the U.S. Open. What's your assessment of the experience and your result in New York this year? Yeah, I mean, um, I last year I played US as well, and um, I lost first round qualifying, and it was just overall not a good experience. Um, uh, like I was, I did, I lost so easily, and mentally I was not really there. So this year, um, I felt more, a lot more prepared compared to last year, um, and obviously I lost last round qualifying, but. Um, I ended up getting lucky loser, um, which was very lucky. Um, but overall, I won a couple of matches, and you know, it put me in in the position where I'm at my career high ranking, I guess. And um, yeah, I'm really happy about that. So you're leaving New York feeling pretty positive overall, then, because of winning those three qualifying matches. Yeah, obviously, I would always want to do better um, than we all, but um, you know, overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy. What are qualities like, if you can explain it to our listeners? There's so much at stake for so many players, especially at the last major yeah. of the year. Is it a pretty tension-filled few days for you players? Yeah, especially so at every Grand Slam, we feel the pressure a lot more. You know, a lot more family, friends come to watch. There's more people watching as well, obviously. And the, just the pressure we put on ourselves um, at these Grand Slams uh, just make it a lot tougher to perform. Um, obviously, we want to do well at these at these events when it don't they don't happen very often. So everyone's very anxious and nervous during the whole week or two that you're there and leading up to it. So um, you know you're just playing with a lot more different things in your head comparing to other tournaments. And for a young player like you, who obviously hasn't had as many chances to play in, in the main draw of uh, Grand yeah. Slams, what's that feeling like once you win that third qualifying match? It must be uh, something pretty ecstatic, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, um, I played Aussie Open 
main this year, like earlier on, and I got a wild card, and I put, I was under so much pressure just from myself, obviously you want to do well, um, and even like three nights before, I couldn't sleep, and I was stressing out, and every time I would sleep, I, I was dreaming that I was already playing this match, and so I almost played, I felt like I played the match like a few times before I even went on court, and um, it was a hot day, and also just from not sleeping, I started cramping in my match, which rarely happened to me. Um, so you know, just that extra stress, it would have I would have cramped because of the stress, and um, I kind of learned from that for future. Like when I played French Open, I was like, I'm not going through that, like I'm putting myself through that again, and you know. You, Obviously, you just learn from every experience that you get. The stress is, is understandable, I'm sure, when you're surrounded by, as well, so much next-level talent uh, on the grounds. Yeah. Did, did you have any starstruck moments at the U.S. Open this year uh, when coming across, like, a high-ranked player in the locker room or perhaps on uh, the practice courts? Honestly, I, I, I mean, maybe when I first came on tour, but um, now, like, even, obviously, you have respect for all the top players, but um, I don't really feel starstruck, uh, that's for sure. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we're all tennis players. I see them quite often now. You know, I see them on tour quite a lot, so um, obviously I respect them, but no, I don't. I don't ever really feel starstruck ever. You're, you're over that now. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, I feel like you kind of have to be, if you, like, you want to be beating these players one day, so you can't constantly be feeling starstruck, I think. I gotta tell you, I still get some goosebumps, though, when I see Serena Williams in a press conference. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, Serena's presence is definitely, it's, you know, yeah, that's one, that's one person, I guess, that, you know, you always feel her presence when she's around. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the perks of playing at a slam that you might not get to enjoy at other tournament stops you make throughout the season? Um, I mean, they treat you really well, obviously. It's, you know, it's only the top 200 players in the world can play. So, um, you know, you get treated very well with food. And, I mean, our accommodation is they give you per diems. So everyone kind of stays everywhere. Um, but just the whole experience with being there with all the best players in the world, I guess, and um, having all the fans coming to watch is it's not like every other tournament so i mean that's for me that's the biggest difference well the way things are going with your rankings i'm sure you're going to be playing them with a lot more regularity you've mentioned that you've recently made your career high ranking you're getting closer to the top 100 what's really clicking with your game this year and, and what targets have you set or areas of your game do you still want to improve upon at this point yeah i mean obviously top 100 is um my goal for this year. I obviously want to achieve it quicker, like earlier on, but, um, you know, it's kind of tough. Like, it, there's a lot of good players out there, obviously, and, you know, to keep doing, um, getting results week in, week out, it's tough. So I was getting pretty frustrated because I was staying at around 130, 140 for a couple of months, and, you know, even though you do well at some tournaments, it just kind of, you did well, I would have done well like last year, so the points kind of just kept me in the same ranking. 
So it does get frustrating. So um, obviously, after US, I move up a little bit again, uh, which which is Korea high, which is at least going in the right direction. But um, it is still a lot of work, and you know I have a lot to improve on mentally. And for me, a lot of it is the mental side. So yeah, that's that's probably one of my breaking points to get to the top hundred. Does it help on the mental side of things to have, you know, other younger players of your generation that seem to be having so much success these days? Can you yeah. take some positives when you see some of your peers at your age group uh, having those breakthroughs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a couple of friends where, you know, we've all grown up together and when I do see their breakthrough and, you know, it really... It, it motivates me even more, you know, and seeing, like, even sometimes I have a couple, you know, top 100, top 50 wins, you know, like, the, the gap is not that big, and um, it definitely helps me to believe in my myself and my game. That being said, is there a veteran player, maybe someone who's been around a little bit longer that you've yet to play in your career that you'd really like to test your game against, sort of like a... Definitely a... Serena. Okay, yeah. But, um, I mean, I don't know how much longer she's going to be playing for, but that will be the ultimate test. <laughs> Seem to hear um, that one quite a bit. I, yeah, I'm sure everyone says the same because, I mean, that's one person. Like, there isn't really anyone that I'm like, I really, really want to play against. But, yeah, she's, she's that one. There you go. I think I for everyone. I have to ask you about your recent experience here in Toronto, where we're based, since we're a Canadian tennis yep. podcast. How was your time here, and how have you enjoyed playing in Canada over your career? I honestly love Canada. Like, if it's one other country that I would, I could live in is Canada. Um, I almost was Canadian. My pe my parents were thinking of actually moving there, but then last minute decided Australia. So I almost became Canadian. Um, but I have family there, so I stayed with my cousins and, you know, they showed me around a lot, so that definitely helped, but yeah, I have to say I love that country. Well, there you go. I was going to say, I think you're the first Australian guest we've had on the podcast, but didn't realize how close oh, really? you, how close you were to being uh, one of us, I guess. Yeah, well, my grandparents lived there, so it was, it would have been a lot easier for me to be a Canadian than Australian. <laughs> Well, this guarantees you a second appearance on the podcast at a later date, I guess. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> um, just before we wrap up, I uh, want to know what's your schedule looking like for the rest of the year. You're back home right now, but what events do you see yourself yep. entering for the, the last few months of 2019? Well, on Thursday night, I fly to Japan. Uh, there's a WTA in Hiroshima. Um, then afterwards, I go to Seoul. And then... Uh, probably China, but that's unsure. And then I'll play Hong Kong. And then later on in the year, there's the Fed Cup Finals, obviously. It's Australia against France. And I'll have one more tournament afterwards, and then I'll be done for the year. Right on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, my final question, even though I personally hate being asked this, but I'm going to put you on the spot and ask if you've uh, got any uh, predictions for how the U.S. Open might end, any players that you think are peaking yeah. at the right time or that you might feel uh, we might see in the finals later on this week. Um, well, on the, it's not like the men's side. The women's side, I feel like anyone can win. 
Um, it's kind of like Halep, Halep's out now, and you know that just shows how. I don't know, the women's side, it's very competitive. Like, it's almost like who plays better just that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we have a lot of young, younger players that are doing really well, like Bianca. Um, so, it's oh, a very tough call. I can't really say who exactly, because honestly, there's so many upsets constantly that no one can really predict anything, really. Yeah, no, uh, I, I don't hold that against you. I've got really nothing better myself, so uh, I, I hear you. Honestly, when, when I'm away from the tournament, I don't really know. I don't really look at results constantly, so I would. I'm, I don't even want to say a player that might not even be in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, I don't actually fair. know exactly who's even in the draw still. Right on. Well, look, uh, Priscilla, we really, we really we, we don't hold it against you, and we appreciate you taking the time. And uh, wish you all the best for the remainder of the season and continued uh, success. And there you have it, uh, interview with Priscilla Hun. And, uh, Mike, you did a great job with that. And I, I know uh, that you touched on this topic, how Priscilla nearly could have been a uh, Canadian player for us. Yeah, I thought she was joking when she first said that, uh, you know, just trying to be funny on our Canadian podcast here. But it's true that her um, parents nearly decided to immigrate to Canada, where Priscilla's grandparents lived. And uh, instead, obviously, they chose Australia, but it was very close. And she could have been another, uh, you know, great young Canadian player for us, but uh, kind of a neat little quirk. And to have her on the podcast, we really appreciate her time. I uh, also found it interesting to note that, as with many of the young players, so much respect for Serena Williams being that one player that there's still a little bit of um, I don't want to say fear factor, but sort of that, that awestruck, uh, you know, um, response to being around and, and wanting to play. If there was anyone they could play, they'd love to get a crack at Serena Williams before at some point she ends up uh, retiring. So great to have Priscilla Hunt on the show and it'll be great to watch her progress as she uh, moves up the rankings, just making her career high a couple weeks ago. Yes, uh, and she's making steady progress indeed. First round of the U.S. Open coming through qualifying. She was also in the second round of the French Open earlier this season. So just uh, one of many young names to watch on the WTA. We'll transition to the men's side of the U.S. Open, and we'll start with the biggest news because it was the night match uh, on Arthur Ashe Stadium. The world number one is now out. Stan Wawrinka uh, Wawrinka defeating Novak Djokovic 6-4. 7521 and then retirement from Djokovic in the match he can no longer continue due to that shoulder injury who is uh, giving uh, that was giving him problems really throughout this tournament uh, look Novak was the odds on favorite to win this tournament coming in uh, he had won four of the past five uh, grand slams but when you're not healthy and you're facing a big match player to the level of Stan Favrinka these things can certainly happen yeah, Vavrinka's given him trouble in the past at slams, even though the head-to-head going into the match was 19-5, to I believe, for Novak. Stan has some big-time wins three years ago in the finals of the U.S. Open, French Open final as well. So he really seems to elevate his game in those biggest moments against Novak. I don't know if we can really include that in that same category because of the injury, which Novak admittedly was carrying around uh, all week long. Uh, I was kind of surprised at how well he had been moving through the draw, despite the fact he was uh, working with that injury. To me, uh, I mean, he'll have many, many more opportunities, although with Nadal and Federer and him catching up, it is uh, you know, a shame if you're a Djokovic fan that he's not able to narrow that gap even more. But he's going to have those opportunities. 
What's really shameful to me was the way that the crowd acted after this match, booing him as he's leaving the court. I mean, this wasn't something that we didn't know about. We, we, we knew he was carrying the injury. You know at some point it could come down to not being able to continue. A great champion like Djokovic, one of the top three, big three of all time really in the sport, to treat someone like that in that manner just doesn't show a terrible amount of, of class whatsoever. And uh, it's a shame that a player like him should have to put up with that. I mean, we'd never see that against Nadal or Federer. So why would fans, and this is rhetorical, but why would fans treat someone like Novak in that way? Yeah, it was uh, really surprising to see from the New York crowd. You you could tell, obviously, the atmosphere was unbelievably electric in the stadium, and Stan Wawrinka was getting everybody fired up. He was uh, playing so unbelievably well, uh, striking such huge shots from the back of the baseline that really he had shifted the crowd in his favor. It it felt like kind of a 50-50 match going in. Stan is uh, one of these crowd favorites uh, outside of the big three and very much beloved on the ATP Tour. And you could feel the crowd pulling for him. And I don't know if they got the idea that Novak is conceding defeat, retiring down 2-1, but you're you're risking so much if you continue and push your body in that scenario. And, And Novak Djokovic, 31 years old, now 16 grand slams. Why would he extend himself and risk much further, more serious injury to that shoulder. So I, I think the fans felt they were robbed of uh, some fantastic tennis at the end and felt Stan Favrinka was going to maybe dismantle him in straight sets. Uh, but it, it certainly just was not worth the risk for, for Novak to continue that scenario. And it's, uh, yeah, very much a shame that, that he was booed out of the stadium by some of these fans. I, I hope it's not a reflection of how most people feel about Novak Djokovic, who is still uh, the world number one. Hey, look, I know everyone wants more tennis. Everyone wants a great, you know, four or five set battle between two great players like that and disappointing when it doesn't happen. How do you think the fans felt in Toronto a few weeks ago, only getting 19 minutes between Serena and Bianca when one of the two players was was the hometown girl as well? And yet I didn't hear a single boo Mm -hmm. or anything negative towards Serena when the umpire announced the match was open, handshake, you know, trophy, anything like that. It was, you know, they handled themselves really well as they should have. These athletes would love to be able to compete in these moments at their best at 100% or at least hopefully close to that so they're able to to complete the match and, and give it their best chance. You, you don't think Novak wants to win this match and be able to continue this match? Obviously, it's not an opportunity for him to, to be able to do that, and he, he gave it his best shot. So very disappointing. I feel bad for Novak to have to put up with that, and uh, it really it's just one of those perplexing things to me because – all those big three have so many positives about their game, their personalities, and, and what they've done and contributed and added to the sport. That's no way to treat one of the, uh, the all-time greats. No, that was uh, certainly very disappointing uh, to see, but a big-time win for Stan Favrinka, who's made significant strides the past one and a half years, uh, returning from his knee injury and a delightful quarterfinal match ahead. Actually, Daniel Medvedev, who we're talking about crowds and booing Medvedev. (laughs) uh, Wow, he's kind of uh, been the number one villain in New York uh, this past week, twice now, reign of booze. Uh, and he say he says it's helped guide him to victory, but uh, he has not made any friends in New York. That will be a fascinating match because I can tell you almost 100% of the crowd will be pulling for Stan Favrinka to beat Medvedev. But uh, this is another player also who is leading the tour in hard court wins and uh, will be the odds on favorite to win that match and uh, perhaps set up a semifinal with Roger Federer, who's playing great tennis too. 
Yeah, if we're looking at the uh, the the hottest you know players on the ATP tour this summer, Medvedev's right at the top with finals in DC, Montreal, and then winning in Cincinnati. And we'll see if he's able to now you know continue that at the Slam level, matching up against Vavrinka, which should be interesting. They've only played once before. Wimbledon in 2017 that was won by Medvedev and I got to be honest I'm kind of surprised by him embracing the role of the villain I, you know I don't know his personality uh, you know nearly as well as some of the other players that I've covered over the years so it's kind of funny to watch him embrace this role I mean it's it's one thing for the crowd to paint you as a villain but how many players do you think would relish in it the way that he's done. Yeah, it's uh, almost like he was basically trolling the crowd post-match interview after that four-set win over Feliciano Lopez, which featured him kind of nastily yanking away a, a towel from a ball boy, which was a bad look, and I know we, we kind of hate stuff like that. Uh, at, at one point, he directed a middle finger. I'm not sure if it was at the crowd, at a box, at the chair umpire, but anyway, he got the cl- crowd essentially livid, and then post-match interview at kind of taunted them and saying, you guys gave me the energy to pull off this victory. I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, so a lot of tongue in cheek um, from, from Daniel Medvedev. And, uh, you know, for now, it, it is certainly working for him. Uh, we, we haven't seen the major breakthrough at a Grand Slam stage for, for Medvedev. But as you said, he's had, you know, who's had as good a summer as Medvedev on hard courts. He is certainly a threat here uh, to take it, you know, a match further. Maybe he can even reach the finals. Uh, we'll discuss Roger Federer because after a couple of sloppy matches early in the going, uh, dropping a couple first sets, uh, he is very rapidly righted the ship and he's getting set for a surprise quarterfinalist in Grigor Dimitrov. Roger Federer has an opportunity to return to a final and and win a U.S. Open and, and a Grand Slam that he actually hasn't won in, in 11 years, which is pretty unbelievable if you think about it. That's absolutely remarkable that he hasn't won the Open since 2008. Uh, His last final here was in 2015. As you mentioned, he got off to a shaky start at the beginning of the tournament. Wasn't really inspiring anyone's confidence. And the fact that he went out early in Cincinnati, too, you were kind of wondering what was going on. Uh, But that dismantling of uh, David Goffin was just incredible how quickly and and precision-like his uh, work on court was to beat a player who had just made the finals in Cincinnati as well. Someone who'd been playing some great hardcore tennis. Now he goes up against Dimitrov. Nice to see him having a run at a slam and sort of getting things back on track. But Federer leads that head to head seven to nothing. And, uh, and it's just, uh, Hey, 38 years old. He's beating top guys, six, two, six, two, six, love. It continues to absolutely boggle the imagination He ties uh, Andre Agassi with his 13th U.S. Open quarterfinal and uh, still trails Jimmy Connors, uh, the man who holds more career titles, the only other man who holds more career titles. Connors had a remarkable 17 U.S. Open quarterfinals, uh, stretching from, uh, I want to say, the early 1970s up until his last one, which was 1991 that he made that run to the semifinals. Um, so holy longevity from Jimmy Connors there. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, Roger Federer is, uh, perhaps matching or maybe even surpassing it in the level of, of longevity. It's just been absolutely remarkable. Uh, as, as you said, I think we were all concerned and thinking, Oh boy, is 
Federer is, is not in form here after those first couple of matches, first against the qualifier and then against uh, Demir Zumer ta- uh, losing the first set there, but he's completely uh, turned the tables and he's certainly a favorite to make the final. You look at the bottom half of this men's draw and uh, Rafael Nadal has to be very, very pleased with how things have transpired. Dominic Team, Karen Hatchinov, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas all losing early. Roberto Bautista Agut as well. And Nadal looks to have quite a comfortable path to reaching a final. And one match I think fans have been waiting for for, you know, over a decade at the U.S. Open is seeing a Nadal-Federer clash. And it can only happen in the final. And you look at both halves of the draw, and that's what we're projecting to see. Want to see it so badly, I got to say. I'm just going to put that out there, okay? I want to see that match so badly to see them face each other at the U.S. Open, okay? The fan in me, I can't contain it. So I'm just going to say that. Nadal's got a great opportunity in the the bottom half. He's 36-4 and against the remaining field in the bottom half of the draw with uh, a couple of losses to Gael Monfils, a couple of losses to Marin Cilic, but he holds an overwhelming majority against both of those players. Chilich hasn't been playing great ball this year. Anyways, Mofi's wonderful to see him uh, entertaining the crowds, playing so well. Too bad he had to take out our Canadian guy, Denis Shapovalov, in a match that we'll mention in a, a moment or two. But for Nadal, you really couldn't hope for better in the bottom half. And so, uh, yeah, maybe the Stars will align and we'll get that Federer-Nadal final that we've always sort of wanted to uh, to experience. Yeah, we certainly don't want to jinx it, but uh, the opportunity is there for the taking. Uh, you look at another round of 16 here, Alexander Zverev against Diego Schwartzman, and credit credit really to Sasha Zverev uh, because he has really struggled with his tennis for the bulk of 2019 and really not viewed as a contender to make a run at a, a Grand Slam. So when you had other names like Dominic Thiem, Stefano Tsitsipas, Hachinov, those types of names exiting early and seeing Zverev find his way through he he fought through a tough first round five setter against Radu Albon another tough five sets against uh, Francis Tiafo and uh, now he gets ready for Diego Schwartzman after a four set win over Alias Bedene so Zverev is starting to play some of his better tennis I don't think he's reached his best level yet but round of 16 is a start for him to really produce a turnaround here because I think he is still one of those faces we are going to be see in you know at least a couple of years two three years time contending for Grand Slam titles I think the secret for Zverev this year in New York is the fact that he had his favorite reporter, Jonathan Pinfield from Yorkshire, <laughs> yeah. uh, over there. Uh, he made the trip across the Atlantic at a moment's notice, got tickets. And, I mean, we've had Jonathan on the show a couple of times before, usually around the French Open when they have their banter and press. It's really the only tennis tournament that, uh, that Jonathan is able to attend throughout the season, unfortunately, as a member of the media. And uh, here he was back as an absolute fan and just relishing it. And uh, Sasha Zverev actually hooked him up with a ticket to his last match when uh, when Jonathan wasn't able to get one himself and left it for him at will call. So that was a classy move mm-hmm. and kind of neat to see their their bromance kind of continue uh, in a in a different way this time. Yes, uh, certainly. We will get to the Canadian side of things. And as you mentioned and alluded to, Denis Shapovalov falling to Gamalfis. And what was really an absolute five-set thriller. I mean, the crowd was raucous on Louis Armstrong Stadium, loving this match. A couple of shot makers. We know the type of entertainer Gamalfis can be on the court. Uh, such a remarkable athlete and really 
you know, showing all those levels of athleticism throughout this match. It was very up and down. We saw stretches where Shapovalov was dominating. We saw stretches where it looked like Monfils had the complete upper hand. Uh, but for me, this was a major stepping stone for Shapovalov in the 2019 season to really right the ship, get things back on track after a sloppy clay season and a disappointing Wimbledon as well. Yeah, after that run of the Miami semifinals have been so quiet from from Dennis, and he's putting it together here late in the hard court summer season. Great run to the semis in Winston Salem, and then starting so well at the U.S. Open. I mean, to me, he's showing flashes of of what really looks like a, a top ten player if he's able to consolidate and build on this. The the, the match against Mofis was you could have gone really either way there. The way that he was able to break back late in the fourth set, force it to a fifth set, was very impressive. This partnership with Mikhail Yuzhny, uh, the former Russian ATP uh, tennis player, really seems to be off to a good start. And uh, I, I think it's going to be now kind of uh, interesting to watch Dennis for the rest of the season, just because it's the final Grand Slam doesn't mean there isn't plenty of tennis still to go. And it'd be nice to see him continue to build on this and uh, you know, potentially get a crack at that first uh, ATP title before the end of 2019. But He's showing us that uh, when, when, he, when he's focused and he's working on the tactics a little bit more that uh, there's so much potential. And I think it's just reminding people of that enormous potential as his ranking has slid almost out of the top 40. This is a good reminder of, of what Dennis is capable of because what an exciting game to watch. And you put him and a guy like Mofis together, that's a match that I'd go watch over just about any other that uh, would be on the grounds. Yeah, and it's uh, certainly one of my favorite matches, I think, so far from, from the U.S. Open. Uh, definite strides from Shapovalov. Uh, Shapovalov, perhaps the Mikhail Yuzhny effect, uh, still just 37 years old and was an excellent pro in his own right, reached the top 10 and, and was always a, a danger to make deep runs at Grand Slams. Uh, two semifinals, actually, at the U.S. Open. So he would have known the field and the uh, and the Flushing Meadows courts very well, so he's certainly helped uh, pay early dividends, and I hope that partnership can continue uh, for the remainder of 2019 and going forward as well. We'll mention Vashik Pospisil as well. Uh, we talked about difficult draws, and really that's all he has faced since his return from that back injury, and uh, we recognize he was going to be a major underdog when we saw the draw for U.S. Open facing the ninth seed in Karen Hatchinoff, uh, but what a massive win to defeat the Russian in a tough five setter uh, has to be a huge confidence boost for Vashik to know that he's been doing all the right things in terms of his comeback and can still produce very, very high level tennis. That, that was absolutely incredible. And I feel like I have to apologize to Vashik because I didn't give him any chance in this <laughs> match because yeah, Hachinov is a top 10 player and Vashik, even if he was at his best full health and with a full season behind him, that would have been a, huge ask to uh, to compete in that one, let alone the fact that he's hardly played any matches since returning after that eight-month uh, time away due to his back surgery. So I, I was watching that match simultaneously with Dennis and Felix at the same time, and, and who knew that it would be the Vashik match that would be the one that I couldn't pull away from. Um, so absolutely uh, massive uh, victory for him. It was too bad that it uh, couldn't keep going then. There's always sort of that letdown, you know, with players who have a big win and then there's a match where maybe they feel or, or fans feel, oh, they're suddenly favored to win that one, in this case, against Tennis Sandgren. But I think probably asking to recover from a five-setter like that for Vashik, given uh, you know the fact he's still working himself back into top shape, uh, is, is probably a bit too much to ask. But I think what this bodes well for is a return to the top 100 for Vashik Pospisil in 2020. If he's playing like this, 
he looks to me like it's it's a given he's going to be in the top 100. He's looking more like in that match back to top 50 kind of form. So it'd be really neat to see. And he's still got time. He's still young enough to uh, to get back in there. It'd be great to see Vashik added to the other Canadians that we have uh, inside that top 100 on the men's side of the game. Yeah, of course, he's not part of that young crop with uh, Dennis and Felix, but uh, he's not too old either. He's just 29 years old, and uh, when healthy, he can still produce great tennis. He, he's been to a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam before, reached, broke into the top 25 uh, at one point, if we look back five years ago. Uh, I'm not sure that is the ceiling for Vashik anymore, but as you said, I, I think top 50, if his body holds up and if he stays healthy, is doable, because I know as great as a doubles player, he is uh, singles is still a focus and a priority for him he wants to play as much singles as he can and that has to be a, a major motivating factor to get a win over a top 10 player at the u.s open give yourself the belief that yes you can play singles still at a high level uh he bows out in the second round to tennis sangren but certainly a fantastic result for vashik pospisil who is uh, still uh being very outspoken in terms of player rights and, and equity on, on the uh, both of the tours and getting uh players their fair share of pay outside of the top 100 so he's uh you know, actively campaigning in that front as well. And uh, we wish him all the best for the rest of the season. Uh, hopefully he's healthy enough to continue this type of level. Uh, we have one other Canadian still fighting away in the doubles. As usual, Gabby Dabrowski, always reliable and uh, still competing uh, in in mixed doubles still with Matty Pavic. And then on the women's doubles front, uh, getting set for a quarterfinal tomorrow with uh, Julie Zhu. Yeah, of course she's still there, right? Like the way that she's been playing, she's she's the rock. She's the one that you can just expect now is going to go deep in women's doubles and usually mixed doubles too. And uh, and so it's it's wonderful to see that successful season continuing from Gabby. Um, you know, her goal, as she's mentioned to us, is that she wants to make uh, the Olympics in Tokyo in 2020. She loves international competition, loves representing her country. And, and she's just a fan of sports in general, that she wants to go see the volleyball. She wants to go see the, you know, all the other sports that she can too, and really be a, a teammate to the entire Canadian squad. Beyond that, it's going to be really cool. I think if she holds true to what she told me earlier this summer is she wants to focus on the singles game after the Olympics and see what she's really got to offer there. And although she didn't, uh, you know, make it as she would have liked to into the main draw of the Rogers cup this summer, in her qualifying match against Potapova, a tough young player, Gabby really, um, you know, confused and, and, and stressed her opponent out because she's going to come to the net and she's going to throw in a lot of variety and she's got the kind of game that you don't see a whole lot of. So I think if she does focus on the singles, there's a potential for Gabby to get into the, uh, the top 100 if she gives it a real solid go for the time being. We're happy to see what she does in doubles. She's uh, she's doing great again into the quarters in both those draws, and uh, and we'll see where she can take it from here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, very well said, and we wish her the best for uh, upcoming quarterfinals and women's doubles and mixed doubles. Uh, more opportunities away for Gabby Dabrowski. Uh, the rock in doubles for uh, Canadian tennis, so consistent at every event. We will see where the remainder of the tournament takes us. Uh, unbelievable. We just have one week left of Grand Slam tennis for 2019, which makes me a little sad in a way because it, it's <laughs> not quite the same once uh, you wrap up the final Grand Slam of the season. Of course, we'll have the Asian Heart court swing and then the ATP WTA finals but uh, this for me is the last major week of tennis for the calendar year yeah me too and and then it is difficult just with the time differences again I mean part of the reason I really love the open is all the matches are at times that agree with my sleep schedule yeah. and 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 you know with the kids and everything for me at home so 
Um, it'll be a little bit different for the rest of the season. But uh, that being said, we'll track the Canadians. We'll track the latest uh, happenings. We've got some cool giveaways that we will uh, start mentioning in the coming weeks on Matchpoint Canada, again, for our listeners. And uh, I would just encourage people to uh, interact with us on Twitter, on Instagram. Let us know who you think is going to make it to the finals of the uh, last slam of 2019. We love hearing from you. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, wrapping up the tournament in a week's time. Yes, we are. You have been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will speak with you next time.